Hello, my babies. We are back with another re-release because you know what? We are taking a much-needed cultured break during the holidays, but don't you fear. We are going to be back with brand new episodes of Cultured in January 2021. But in the meantime, we've got these amazing episodes that were very hard to pick as our favies for re-release because we now have a canon of quite a bit of episodes, which obviously you can listen to anytime you want. But it was very obvious to us that we wanted to pick Raymond Carr as one of the re-release episodes because he is an exceptional puppeteer. And ever since we spoke about two years ago, Raymond has been doing a lot more work with the Jim Henson company. In fact, you can see some of his big-time work on Disney Plus on a show called Earth to Ned, and he himself made his own Afro-futuristic sci-fi adventure film called Joyriders. And you can follow Joyriders on Instagram at joyridersmovie. And he's done a whole lot more. So if any of you are millennials like me, then you are especially stoked to hear that he worked on Space Jam 2. What? Space Jam. All right. This is such a fun conversation. It is a walk down memory lane. We had such a fun time recording this together and learning about very different forms of puppeteering from the master himself, Raymond Carr. Without further ado, let's talk to Raymond. Welcome to the Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey, and together we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my dearies. So good to have you for another episode of the Cultured Podcast. It's Michelle Corey. Da! Didn't you hear it at the beginning of this episode? And we are here to get cultured with a whole different kind of art form. We are talking puppetry today, and we have none other than Raymond Carr. Raymond has over 15 years of experience bringing puppets to life. And let me tell you, there are way more styles of puppetry than just marionettes with those strings, okay? Also, according to Raymond, please do not call it Puppet Master. That is so passe. Um, hello. It's Puppeteer. Raymond has done everything from filmmaking. He has been a theatrical director. He has been a designer. He has toured the entire continent. I mean, he's been to almost every single major city in North America. He's gone to Europe, worked in Iceland for a bit. There is so much to dig into on this episode. But first, we have a very special inspiration for this week. Raymond himself is bringing us the inspiration And I will let him take it from here because this is a good one, y'all. All All right. So while recording this, Black Panther has just opened. And I know a lot of people are talking about it. But for me, it was truly inspiring because it was the first blockbuster Afrofuturist film. It imagined African culture in a very sci-fi way. Generally, we think of sci-fi and fantasy through the lens of a European point of view. And for me as a black man, I've always been in love with sci-fi and fantasy. And to see that idea through an African point of view was something that we've just literally never seen before on screen. So it was inspiring because it's something that I love and 
being able to see myself and people that look like me participate in that conversation of sci-fi fantasy was something that I've longed for for a long time and I'm finally able to see. So it's also something that people are paying attention to and hopefully will uh, change the game. Wow, wow, we are. Thank you so much. That was, I couldn't have said it better myself, literally. Um, And now, with Raymond's inspiration in tow, we now get Raymond inspiring us. So hi, Raymond. Hi, everybody. Why don't you tell us how you got into puppetry? Because that, I feel like, has got to be an interesting story. Uh, I lost a bet. That's it. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, moving on. (laughs) No, um, I I like to say that because the reality is slightly more ridiculous. Um, I was uh, homeschooled by church clowns. I grew up in a family of uh, traveling Christian clowns and performers. And my my brother and I would basically sit behind a PVC piped puppet stage and do puppet shows that we would break down and uh, bring back up. Uh, and we had a 18-foot pink trailer that let down into a stage with a, a dancing dinosaur costume that we would get into. And can we, can, no. We're going to need to pause <laughs> because I think our whole audience, I just all of us need to process what you just said. It's better to just like go forward. <laughs> it's like, it's not, no, it's... Yeah. The most epic childhood I've ever heard of. I'm 36 and I'm still processing, so. (laughs) Every Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, so uh, I I was a puppeteer, uh, and it was mostly just for the church, and then we- So, so wait, hold on, still processing. (laughs) (laughs) You guys would travel Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. as a family Mm -hmm. doing- like a Christian circus. No, it's more so like uh, the, we were the children's portion of like the big revivals or conferences at churches and what have you. We were like the children's entertainment for those sorts of things. So we weren't. Yeah. So we were uh, and we it was incorporating in, in children's ministry. So there was a message and, and music and songs and all kinds of stuff. But we really performed almost vaudevillian because we didn't have a script or anything. We just had, you know, some sketches and some bits and characters that we knew that we had. And we just had like a little sheet of paper that my mom would write down on a legal pad and we knew what we were supposed to do vaguely and then just talked our way through for four hours because they were you know church services that just went on forever how old were you i did this from the ages of probably 10 through now no uh (laughs) i i i was i've performed with my parents since i was 10 and uh i mean i probably stopped when i was like 19 or so but and it was you and your brother Mm -hmm. and how old was your brother he's two years older than me so at the ages of 10 and 12 Uh you were improvising puppet shows Uh that's amazing (laughs) that might be one of the most interesting (laughs) things i've ever heard i'm not even like i'm prone to exaggeration and hyperbole but i'm not well i mean look there (laughs) mind-blowing even further there is a an industry for uh christian puppetry and clowning we didn't make this up ourselves there's curriculum and books and music and puppets you could buy over the counter um through christian resources that have all this kind of stuff all in the name of reaching children for jesus and all that jazz so yeah that's what i this was on the west coast so we traveled um a bunch at the height of it we were performing at around 200 times a year so what uh, yeah uh we were homeschooled by the way as i said well Uh, yeah you had a whole (laughs) slew of conferences to clown around at yeah exactly which made it slightly less legal i don't know there's child labor law um issies you could you know those infer, don't apply for, but, to yeah, clowns exactly. or puppeteers exactly or when it's your parents um 
So uh, this was in Southern California. So we moved from Santa Monica, California to Union City, Georgia when I was 17, mm. which is was, a huge change. Yeah, it was, it was very not cool. Mm. Um, Still processing uh, that yeah. one, too, I imagine. I, I, I was so emo. I was so, <laughs> so emo. It was it was adorable. Oh my god, you yeah. were a sad puppeteer. I, I was such a sad puppeteer. It was really sad. Raymond, can I be in the biopic of your life? <laughs> <laughs> there's right. absolutely you know no what? way there's not going to be a movie go ahead about and, your you, life. Go ahead and you can star as me for all I care. <laughs> I'd be I'd such would, a perfect role. You would, you're, you're hired. <laughs> I have a feeling if what's her name as Nina Simone didn't cut it, maybe there would be some issue yeah. with me playing you. No, you're fine. You get you get you put in my will. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. From there, I moved to Georgia, where my parents got a, a job at a church, uh, being children's pastors, a big mega church, and uh, I was sad and emo. And then I discovered the glory that is the Center for Puppetry Arts, which yes. uh, you know, for those of you who are local in Atlanta, Georgia, you know how amazing that place is. And that was the first time I met artists that were professional. You know, I didn't consider myself an artist, despite the fact that we were performing all the time. And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't think my parents did either. Yeah. Uh, and for those who don't no, I mean, the Center for Puppetry Arts is the largest mm-hmm. museum for puppetry in, I think, the world. Largest puppetry theater and museum in America and one of the largest in the world. And it's currently home to the Jim Henson exhibit. And we ha- they have more of Jim Henson's collection than MoMA or the Smithsonian. So yes. uh, you should definitely check it out and you it's get a amazing. chance. And it just underwent a renovation a couple yeah. of years ago. So it's a beautiful facility. So that's where you got your start as thinking of yourself as yeah. a career puppeteer potentially. Yeah, I mean it was it was an interesting transition for those who have, you know, come up in some sort of amateur form of artistry and not really realizing, oh wait, people do this for a living. And so that was a big eye opener and so I started doing shows there. They have a great program called Experimental Puppetry Theater, uh, XPT, where it's a grant-based program and you submit an idea and they give you up to $400 to and all the center's resources to put on the show short, you know, five to 10 minute piece. Um, And then they showcase it in the summer. So I've done, I've directed a couple of shows through that process. And what are uh, some of those shows? My first show I did, I was 18 years old. I actually applied for it when I was 17 and it's an 18 and up show. So (laughs) they they made sure my birthday was before the performance. So that's how they got away with it. (laughs) No Uh, way. But the show I did was called Baby Says Eat Me. Uh, baby says eat me. Yes, it was about this adorable baby who was so jealous of food because everybody liked food more than it that he <laughs> went around telling everybody to eat me. And he uh, eventually tried to all these different things, get people to try and eat him. And he jumped in the oven and like poured food on his face and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and at the end of it, he finally succumbed and ate himself. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so that was my first adult-oriented uh, puppet show. Oh, uh, be still my heart. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was, oh. it, was a, it was a beautiful, uh, yeah. It was actually originally written by one of my homeschool friends that I came up with, Sarah Martin, and that was one of the reasons why we we stayed friends is because I thought she was just as weird as me. And so from there, uh, I've done, uh, you know, a bunch of, I did a bunraku, which is a Japanese style of puppetry where you have, uh, it's traditional, uh, almost like kabuki style, where the puppeteers dress in all black, but they hold puppets uh, in full visibility that are uh, full body puppets and so there'll be one person operating the feet one person operating the hands and then one person operating the head and body to get this fully ranged motion of puppetry and they do uh, these gorgeous ornate costumes for the puppets and beautiful set pieces like many artist forms in Japan you have to spend years and years before you can even 
participate in this process. And that's kind of where my production company's name comes from, Ninja Puppet Production, because the puppeteers look like ninjas when they're dressed in all black. But I did a version of the story of David and Goliath as told through kabuki uh, samurai style. So the dragon, we made a, a dragon that was 13 feet tall, operated by uh, seven different puppeteers that was all black light, and that was Goliath, and then we had samurai puppets and all this kind of stuff. So it's a beautiful style. Well, and I imagine it takes a tremendous amount of Coordination. Like coordination. Yeah. Like and anticipating somebody else's movement. Yeah. It's it's a fascinating I love it so much because it does require a lot of coordination, but when it's at, at the height of it, you still get this level of uh, improvisation and and thinking on your feet and uh, a real synergy with your other performers that is very difficult to get outside of that. It's like a lot of movement artists that get, you know. So yeah. you, you get the symbiotic relationship with other performers still to infuse this life with this uh, inanimate object, which is when it works, it really, really works. Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautifully uh, put. Yeah. Flash forward, I uh, did some shows at the center. Um, then I went to, uh, I auditioned for a TV show called Lazy Town, which was on Nick Jr. for a while. And it's a pink haired girl and this guy in blue tights that spins around and stuff. It was a fitness show. But we shot that in Reykjavik, Iceland. So I spent a year out there living in the 101 down in Leugavegur. You lived on Leugavegur? Yeah, I did. I did. For a year? Mm -hmm. Do you know that one of my dreams is to be a sheep herder in Iceland? <laughs> Why are you laughing? I dated a sheep herder. Stop. Yeah. Well, her family, Raymond. she comes from a family of sheep farmers. Yeah. Raymond. <laughs> this is kind of gross. But her job was like her father had to like slaughter the sheep. So she had to, like told me all these horror stories about like her having to kill sheep with her father. And all Why this. were they killing the sheep? Because that's lamb, I guess. And the meat and the. But that the meat. But and who the, eats sheep? Lots of people. <laughs> I was thinking I would be a more like, you know. Icelanders eat sheep. Harvesting the wool. Yeah. Just like shaving them, giving them a little grooming every once in a while, not Veal? chopping their heads off. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll show well. you pictures later. Was oh, was I don't gross. know if I want to see uh, pictures. Okay, <laughs> we're going to move on. My dreams are burst. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so I worked on that show for a year, and then I came back to Atlanta and continued doing my own stuff and worked in commercials and what have you. I went on tour with a show called Walking with Dinosaurs, which was a life-size animatronic dinosaur show that played arenas. So we played Madison Square Garden, Staples <laughs> Center, and Phillips Arena, of course. But it was North America, so we went to Canada and Mexico as well. Holy moly. Yeah, and each uh, we were the fourth largest touring show in the world at the time. Uh, so it was like Springsteen, U2, one other and us. And uh, and walking with dinosaurs. Yeah. So we traveled with 25 semi-trucks, 75 people. <gasps> yeah, it was crazy. What was that like? It was two years. So it wow. was a lot of good and a lot of intense. You know, I, I'm so in incredibly grateful for it. I was the head of animatronic puppetry performance. Well, we called ourselves voodoo puppets because we operated them remotely. So we had a sophisticated animatronic rig operating these dinosaurs that would free roam on the floor of these arenas. What? Yeah, there's three people. There was a little car underneath it that would operate the legs. And then next to me was somebody with a keyboard and a joystick to operate the mouth. And then I had what looked like a small vertebrae set uh, for a back that at the end of it had almost like a bicycle arm control on it. And then on the uh, other end of it had a vertical bicycle arm grip that would operate the tail and then the front of it operated the neck and head. And we communicated to each other with headsets and had a full script of commands and things of that nature. So, so for each dinosaur, it was like three people yeah. operating the dinosaur. Exactly. 
And how many dinosaurs were there? We had 17 dinosaurs. Holy moly. Our That's tallest, where you get the 75 people. <laughs> yeah, our, our tallest dinosaur was Mother Brachiosaurus, and that was uh, 40 feet tall. But we referred to those as Bunroku puppets as well. The style of puppetry, it's a bit of a stretch for that term, but it was the same thing where three puppeteers on one puppet all communicating to each other and working in symbiosis to create one single performance. So high-tech Booner Coup. Yeah, definitely. And that was an amazing, amazing ex- experience. Um, we even got parodied on The Simpsons, which was fun. What? <laughs> You've made it. Yeah, I know. You, yeah. you have height made of, it. That was the height of my career. <laughs> you peaked. Yeah. Um, oh, and I was an episode of CSI. <laughs> an episode where the revolved around walking with dinosaurs. The, the char- The characters. Because it was like CSI Vegas, and yeah. it was a stupid thing. I still get it like 25 cents every two weeks or something like that. So. I'm going to watch that show yeah. just so I can yeah. contribute. <laughs> uh, that's how I got my SAG card. Yeah. So from there, came back to Atlanta and really keyed in on into the uh, independent film industry and worked with a lot of really awesome indie filmmakers, David Bruckner, Dan Bush, Jacob Gentry, a lot of awesome people that have made movies that went to Sundance and that I was fortunate enough to participate with and uh, started making my own kind of creature-centric puppet movies that have monsters and, and other weird things attached to them, but I was able to you know, up my production value based on the context that I had made. What do you mean by that? One of the great things about Atlanta is that there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of, you know, favors are currency. And so I found that I would work on other people's films. And after a, a while, I had a bunch of favors saved up. And so I can be like, hey, guys, come work on this weird puppet movie. And they all would. <laughs> um, and so I was able to get high tech uh, HD cameras. And, and well, back in the day, they were just HD cameras. Now, 4K and 6K cameras and the, sa- the sound equipment needed and, you know, the, the just level of production people involved to make these movies, you know, something really interesting or at least feel like a movie, you know. So I started doing that quite a bit made a movie that went to Slamdance, which is a film festival in Salt Lake City right next to Sundance, and uh, went to Comic-Con, perform- and it, it did well at the London Sci-Fi Festival and Atlanta Film Festival. And Let me ask you. Yeah. I mean, in just the quick synopsis that uh-huh. you've given us so far, uh-huh. it's astounding where puppetry has taken you. Yeah. Would you have ever been able to imagine that puppetry could take you to these places? It depends on when, at what point you ask me in life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, I've been very fortunate to give some ridiculous opportunities. And I think that as somebody who, like many artists who came up around and didn't really know what it meant to really be an artist or, or maybe saw people that you were inspired by but didn't know how they got there, you know, to really like thinking about like the Muppets. When You know, I remember having conversations with my other friends when I was a teenager that were into puppets and whatever and thinking about, yeah, I really like to work with the Muppets, not knowing any of us how to actually do any of that. It is it is amazing, but I also really, I try and look forward while still keeping a, uh, a level head about my own expectations and also my own abilities, you know, being able to really stay grounded in what I'm able to do and rely and, and know me as an artist. I feel like, The thing that age has given me has been a sense of awareness as to what I am to other people and who I am to myself and where I stand as an artist. And also 
having that foundation makes me have a better realistic idea of where I'm going as an artist too. So all that is a roundabout way, way of saying, no, I didn't know. I was gonna, yeah, I <laughs> no, know. I could have never imagined. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. I could have never imagined. Um, I mean, you did have this, uh, if there ever there were a non-traditional upbringing, it was yours. <laughs> yours is the one under the textbook definition of non-traditional upbringing. And I think that was an opportunity to show you that there are so many other ways to live and to do things. And so, you know, not to put thoughts into your head, but I know that, for instance, I grew up within a matriarchy Mm -hmm. of older women. Mm -hmm. And so how that's informed me is that I'm very self-assured as a young woman. Mm -hmm. And also, I believe that I can do whatever I want at whatever age, because all of these older women kept partying and living a good life. They still are into their 80s, you know, that they're my aunts. So I think that really informs you. No doubt. Like, uh, it definitely does. Being a young black man in the in the 90s, having that awareness of what other black men were doing at that time. And I like, you know, I grew up in Inglewood during certain parts of my life and all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like I had a, obviously a different experience from a lot of people around me that did inform me and took the reins off of my trajectory to a certain extent because I was able to think differently than maybe a more traditional setting or or, or conditioning, uh, if you will. And, you know, I I am eternally grateful for the people, my parents, other mentors that have allowed me to do the thing and not have to worry about, you know, falling on my face too much, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Um, or your puppets falling on your face. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Hey, that was a, that was a <laughs> no, pretty that was non-cliche funny. one. Yeah, that was, that was very, it was funny. It was funny. Don't patronize no, me. No, it was great. It was so funny. Oh, that was even more patronizing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can imagine your, with your parents and what mm. they used to do, there was nothing but support when you decided to pursue puppetry. They've always been very supportive, like to a fault, I think. I think in <laughs> hindsight, they probably should have told me to like slow it down for a minute there, but I they they have always been like wildly supportive of my nonsense, even when they don't understand. And they don't understand like the vast majority of the art that I do now, which, you know, granted, most audiences don't either. So, but uh, they still like nod and give a thumbs up when they see and they still try and come to my shows and and when they can so that's so sweet yeah it is so now let's dive into a little bit about the different aspects of puppetry so Mm -hmm. can you break down some of your because there's just such a vastness of puppetry styles but can you break down some of the more common ones and then some of your favorite probably the, the the version that most people are familiar with is what we call muppet style which is pretty self-explanatory it's sesame street muppets basically your hands over your head and you're moving your hands like you're moving the mouth of the puppet and that's referred to as moving mouth hand and rod puppet because you know they have rods in their hands and what have you and that was obviously made popular by jim henson and he pretty much basically invented that style. So before that, you know, there were some glove puppets like you would see on Mr. Rogers or Kukla Fran and Ollie or Howdy Doody marionettes and all that kind of stuff. But what Jim did is that they all those shows on TV had puppet stages. And Jim decided to just remove the puppet stage and just have the edge of the frame and in the, in the camera be the puppet stage, you know. And so he would all frame it for specifically for puppetry. And that was like a big innovation for the time. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was a game changer. So that's why all of his stuff, like 
blew people away because he treated it as almost like animation. It was like a combination of like vaudeville and animation where he was able to have all these outlandish sketches where the puppets were blowing up and being eaten and and thrown (laughs) against the wall and all that kind of madcap animation style comedy. But it was still very felt very quick and very like jokey and like uh, in this vaudevillian kind of sketch way. And so that's the innovation that he uh, provided. The Henson Company, I've been fortunate enough to be working with the Henson Company now for uh, a couple of years now, and they still thrive on that style, even though it's come through a lot of different iterations. I'm currently involved with Puppet Up, which is their adult puppet improv team. (laughs) And they had a run in Vegas for a while, and we've done some shows here and there. They'll be back on tour eventually, but that is Muppet-style puppets, except whose line is is it anyway style improv where they're interacting with the crowds but then there's a there's a camera and then there's a projection screen above the puppeteers so you're and the puppets are like being lifted up in front of the camera so it just looks like if you want to look up it just looks like an improvised tv show but if you look down you can see the puppeteers below uh and then in between sketches and stuff they do recreations of some of Jim Henson's old sketches that he would do like on the Ed Sullivan show and uh, the Tony Knight show and all that kind of stuff. In addition to that, they've translated the moving mouth hand puppet style into animatronics and animation. So the show that I'm currently on with the Henson Company is called Splash and Bubbles. And it's a show for PBS that teaches kids about oceanography. And it's a series of fish. And what we have, the way we, the way it's different, it's a computer-generated show, but it still uses what they call digital puppetry. And we, ha- I have in s- my hand is basically uh, covered in a little bit of a sock that has a series of servos and and sensors that are around it. And in my what's o- a servo? Uh, it's a, a servo is not the proper term, but basic electronics that are measuring the movement of my hand. So okay. if I open my hand up the digital character's mouth opens. If I close it, vice versa. I have a joystick in my left hand that moves the eyes left to right, has a thumb toggle that makes the eyes blink, and can control the eyebrows. I have a series of foot pedals that control the cheeks and the nose and all these sorts of things. I'm basically sitting in a chair doing all of these things to manipulate the computer-generated character's face. At the same time, I'm reading a script. So we're like a television show, we are shooting a television show, reading this script in real time while manipulating the mouth of the puppet. Then at the same time, there's somebody on the floor in front of me that's on this 500 square foot basically pad that has sensors all around it in the ceiling that are taking the movement of this rod puppet that they're holding. It basically looks like a fish with a series of ping pong balls, glowing ping pong balls all over it. And you move the fish around like you would a, a stage on stage in a theater situation, and then you immediately see it moving in real time on screens all around you. So it's kind of like a real-time video game, and we're working in concert with each other. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying a whole lot that I'm needing to process. I, you're probably like the only guest who's left me like speechless <laughs> multiple times. Okay. All right, where'd I lose you? No, you didn't. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Okay, so you are controlling all of these levers and buttons mm-hmm. and joysticks at the same time as speaking the script, mm-hmm. at the same time as looking at the screens to see it come to life? Yes. The other half of me, another performer, is on the floor moving the puppet around. How? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm such There's a, a good, magic I'm of such puppetry. A good journalist. How though? <laughs> no, but did that take you a ton of time to get used to? Yes and no. The specific system that we were using, the Henson Digital Puppetry System, I did have several weeks on that to try and really perfect the the, the idea of using that. But the basic premise of it was still based on Muppet-style performances, and the Henson Company is a performance-centric production company. They are they le- lead by their performers, and they're one of the best companies to work for for any aspect of performance, mm. because the performers really do deep dive and, and lead the conversations as far as like how much time you have with the material versus, like, you know, there's not always somebody who's over your shoulder screaming at you need to move forward, which is you know, it happens on set. So it's there's such a great company to work for. So yes, it did take me a while to, to, to figure that out. But the benefit is that we were doing a 15-page episode a day of animation, CG animation. Which is unheard of right. with actual traditional animation. Right. Normally, in context, it would take months to get that. Of course, these were low-res versions of it, so they would need to process it and full, bring them to full resolution. But just that itself... It just is processing power and and such so it's such a faster process. So that's the system that I've been working with with the Henson Company. Splash and Bubbles is doing well. It's still, I believe it's still the third largest, uh, biggest show on PBS Kids right now, which is great. Wow! Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it's a musical, so it's all set to Motown music, which is a lot of fun. Do you have to sing it all? I do. Oh my God! Can you sing us a little song? Uh, <laughs> I am. Um, so my character is a puffer fish named Dunk. And pufferfish actually make sand patterns in the sand, and they use it as a mating. But they will make like almost crop circle, perfectly symmetrical circles in the sand that are like very interesting and delicate. I have an ex who used to do that around me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's just a pufferfish joke. That's funny. Yeah, that was funny. That was, Thanks. Yeah. So he has this song that is, uh, it's, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. And it's all about him just doing stuff. Uh, because he likes it, not because if anybody's judging it. All right, take it down. Trying to have a serious conversation here. Are we? Keep it together. Oh my God, I Keep wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Dude, I need more. <laughs> I think this show's for me. Yeah. I think I need to watch this show. It's great. I, I play two characters. I play, well, several characters. I play a pufferfish named Dunk, and I play the, the mayor of the reef. It's Reef Town. And how does he ha- sound? It's Mayor's thing that sounds like this. So I have to go all the way down from here to all the way up to here. Wow. Yeah. That was impressive. So yeah, it's 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 a wild time. Um Well, you were saying that the system that you use, you actually didn't it didn't it like felt natural because of that's the kind of puppetry you've been doing all along. Yeah, and it's also the style of puppetry that they, the interface that we use, basically the joystick and the hand control is what they've been developing. It's how, what they did for the TV show Dinosaurs back in the 90s. Oh it's how God. they did the Ninja Turtles back in the 90s. It's how they've done, you know, A Little Shop of Horrors. All of these all these creatures with moving mouths that have facial expressions and animatronic features, that's done with this system, except this system just takes it into the digital range and makes them uh, computer-generated characters. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about moving mouth. Hand and mouth moving. Having yeah. mouth. <laughs> Muppet-style puppets. Muppet-style puppets. Uh-huh. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> and we've talked about Baroku? Bunraku. Bunraku. Uh-huh. I'm very bad at this. <laughs> and we've talked about animation-style uh-huh. yeah. puppetry. Yeah. Uh-huh. What are some others? You know, one of the other styles that I, I like to use is um, I either do 
something called uh, tabletop puppetry, which is essentially um, more of an avant-garde traditionally way of doing it. It's a lot of what the center. If you've seen a show, a show at the Center for Puppetry Arts, that's generally referred to as tabletop puppetry, where it's usually like the level of a table and there's people operating it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be found object puppetry, where you're literally just moving an object like a can or an apple or something like that, and you're bringing it to life. Rod puppetry, oftentimes, is uh, I use a lot, where it's literally just rods going in the back of the puppet and on the hands of the puppet and you're manipulating in that very basic style that's used in a lot of um, Indonesian style of puppetry and Asian art forms. It's a very traditional uh, style of puppetry. I generally shy away from marionettes. I don't really do much. It's really easy to make a marionette look bad and it's really hard to make it look good. Wow. <laughs> and marionettes are, of course, the traditional strong... String puppets, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and are they just too high strung? Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah. So no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> string puppets. I don't really. It's 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 really it's really hard to use them, and I I like the direct control of like a tabletop of Bunraku because I, my hands are literally on the puppet and I can make it grab things and do things and do precision movements, and I I find that to be a more fascinating. And, and I love a good marionette show. It's just not what I always gravitate towards mm-hmm. performance-wise myself. I just love seeing shows like at Center for Puppetry Arts, they often combine yeah. quite a few different forms Absolutely. of puppetry. And to me, that's fascinating because you start seeing how how different the essence of the character mm-hmm. takes shape based on each style because it can really lend a very different feel. What are some of the projects you're working on right now other than Splash and Bubbles? My performance partner and I, Raymond Wade Tilton, uh, we go by Raymond versus Raymond. We have we did a show last year at Village Theater. We got a grant from the Idea Capital, which is a, a, a local grant opportunity in Atlanta. That's and, awesome. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, they gave us a, a grant to put on a show at Village Theater, and it's ba- it was a basically like a culmination of close to a decade's worth of work that both Wade and I have been doing. It was all adult, avant-garde, random, artsy-fartsy stuff. Uh, yeah. he's. I always say that he's the uh, fartsy to my artsy, so... <laughs> Um, he's just really gassy. <laughs> a little bit. So for, uh, now we are uh, in development for a new show. Um, we've done performances at the Goat Farm and iDrum and, and all over town and at the Center for Puppetry Arts. So we're in preparation, basically getting a, a, a bunch of new material that we've actually been playing around at some local theaters and secret shows and things of that nature. Ooh, so I sexy. I know, right? Now, real quick, you know, you mentioned being a black man. Yeah, which that is true. That I, is what I am. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And so, but is there a lot of diversity in puppetry or has that presented a challenge for you? There is not a lot of diversity in puppetry and it's more so presented a lot of opportunities for me, honestly. Wow. Because. For once. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a thing where, especially people like the Henson Company, they are actively seeking diverse cast members and talent um, because if I wanted to play a five-year-old Latina girl, I can, but might as well get, you know, a Latina to actually play that role. Because there's a there's a certain level of authenticity that is infused in that. Totally. And, you know, especially when a lot of puppetry requires improvisation and, and just off the cuff kind of figuring it out. And if you have that as your background, might as well tap into that. So, yes, the, the diversity thing among responsible production companies like the Henson Company and others is actually been to my benefit. Opportunities are out there and has a lot to do with access from those minorities in general. Like Mm -hmm. somebody in the African-American community may not think of an avant-garde artist art form to pursue as their 
uh, career choice because they haven't been exposed to that as an option for them and their community. And, and maybe a lot of their relatives or, or, or friends might not really uh, embrace that, that lifestyle of all these sorts of things. So giving kids of color uh, the permission to be weird and to make art and all that kind of stuff and letting them know that there are opportunities and actually people are looking for you. You know, for years we were told that you weren't allowed and now we're it switched the other way where it's like, no, they want you out there. And giving those kids the green light to be go out and be weird and make art is exciting. I'm so thankful you were given that opportunity yeah. <laughs> because it's resulted in this like fascinating human being who's done such incredible things and you've created all of these imaginary worlds you brought them to life and now you're here telling us about them and inspiring us so thank you raymond thank you for having me this has been so fun y'all thank you for allowing us to string you along on this journey (laughs) get it Anyway, before Raymond kills me, I just want to thank you again for coming along for the ride. I learned so much. I think I really do think this is the first episode where I was constantly left speechless because there is so much complexity behind the art of puppeteering. How cool. If you want to learn a little bit more about Raymond and his work on many endeavors, one of which is super sexy and secret, well, we'll find out soon, you can go to Ninja Puppet Productions.com. It's exactly how it sounds is how you spell it. NinjaPuppetProductions.com. And of course, all of these links and everything that we mentioned in the show today is going to be on the episode show notes at CulturedPodcast.com. Until next week, keep it classy, keep it curious, keep it cultured. Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. And we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia.